Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your power. Thank you that you are holy. You are a holy God. We just worship you. And Lord, we just turn our hearts to you right now in our offering. And Lord, how you've been blessing us and how you've been moving in our life and how we need you to bless us, Lord. And we give according to your word right now, Lord, with joyful hearts. For you love a cheerful giver. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, as these fine ushers are taking up the offering, I've got one uh, addition to our prayer list. Do we have any first-time guests here tonight? This is your first time tonight? We got one. Can I get some help? Anybody else? I saw one. Oh, I'm sorry. They're right in front of you. Um, we've got a little card. We've been doing this for, for six years one way, and we finally change, and I can't ever get it right. But right in front of you, thank you for helping, Sarah, is one of these. On the second page is a place for you to fill your information out. Just tear that out at the end of service or now if you want, and as you go out, there'll be a basket at the door. Just drop that in the basket. That way we just know, know who you are, and we can be thankful for you, be praying for you. Um, one addition to the prayer list, if you got one in the back, please do. It's Pam Kilgore, just like it sounds. Um, <clears throat> is Pam in here? Wave at me if you're in here, Pam. I don't know that I should share this. Can I share it or not share it? Okay. Husband wants a divorce, 30 days from final. Pray for restoration. Okay. <clears throat> that information is for you to pray about, not to gossip about, not to talk about, to pray about, and to believe for breakthrough. Okay, Women on the Hill Campfire Fellowship tomorrow night at 6.30 at, uh, I believe at Karen Rotacos. Is that right, Joe? You going to be nowhere near? We pray? <laughs> that's the reason for the campfire <laughs> just kidding Joe kind, kind of uh, tomorrow night bring a finger food to share locations and directions um, are located at the information desk and they're on our website also so uh, go to icoth.com uh, to find out more but you better find out quickly because it's tomorrow night right and Siobhan is going to be sharing her testimony which I believe is just going to be awesome so uh, please, ladies, go to that. Tomorrow at uh, noon, starting a little bit before noon, is the National Day of Prayer at the courthouse. I want to encourage everyone to come out. Um, the uh, center dance team will be there dancing. Another church will be there leading worship, I believe, from 1130 to 12. And then um, area pastors and area um, representatives of our city will be coming to pray on behalf of our city, on behalf of our state, on behalf of our nation. So I just want to encourage you, come out to the courthouse at 12 o'clock noon uh, to pray. Amen? All right. Luke chapter 11, still there. <clears throat> Starting in verse 27. I wanted to say... Uh, um, Miss Tammy um, did a bunch of old school songs tonight. One of them was You Are a Holy God, and I believe it's a vineyard song. I can't remember, but I believe it's vineyard. John, is that a vineyard song? I believe it is. But anyway, when I first came to this church 15 years ago, um, 
Cindy Harrell, the worship leader. That was one of the first songs I learned to play. It's one of the first songs I learned to sing with her. Um, it, 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 I believe it, it, was a, it was a monumental time for me in my life, but I believe it's also a kingdom song. You are a holy God, and we cry holy. Holy is the Lord Almighty. And, you know, sometimes we just go back. It's probably like what the song Holy, Holy, Holy did for you. It takes you back to a time. It takes you back to a place. And you just hear the, I believe you can hear the choirs of heaven singing as we sing. Amen? Okay. A little bit of a nostalgia for, for you. Luke 11, chapter uh, 27. I'm going to go quickly on these first two verses. Then I've got a little bit of a message for you. Um, as Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. And he replied, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Now, I'm not going to go down a uh, Catholic um, road here, but you can. Uh, what I want you to see here is that the lady screamed out, blessed is the mother who gave birth to you, that you are such a blessed, blessed should be your mom because of how great you are. Blessed who gave birth and nursed you. And, and Jesus replied, you're more blessed if you hear my word and you do it. Does that sound like a broken record? I feel like that's all I've been preaching. To be honest with you, I feel like that has been the theme of my message since day one, seven, almost seven years ago this June. Hear the word and do it. This is what Jesus says. Blessed are those who hear my word and do it. Amen? Amen. Won't y'all do that? Amen. That's what Jesus would say. Why don't y'all do that? That will work well for you. Luke 11, verse 29. As the crowds increased, Jesus said, this is a wicked generation. It asks for a sign, but none will be given it except a sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also the Son of Man will be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment of the people of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. Now, and now something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. Now, I'm going to throw you a little bit of a curveball, but did you know that the average American spends 29 hours, 29 hours a week watching TV? 29 hours. That's more than the average American spends eating, working, or doing, uh, working, might be pushing it just a little bit. I mean, I, I work more than that. Or doing anything other than sleeping. The average preschool will spend six to seven hours each day in front of the television. And trust me, they are not just watching Sesame Street. It is amazing how, like, we've got We've got, uh, uh, we've got four kids, and what happens is you watch the little kitty stuff with the first one, and then the, the child gets older and starts watching older things and older things. Next thing you know, the youngest one is watching what the older, oldest one's watching. It's just the way it goes. It's not that we're bad parents. It's not that we're not monitoring. It's not that we're right on top of what they're doing, but... A 13-year-old clean TV is not always clean for an 8-year-old. It's just the way it goes sometimes. 
By the time an average television viewer reaches the age of 18, he or she will have vicariously watched more than 200,000 acts of violence. That's almost four times the amount of men and women who died during the Vietnam War. The reason I say this is to tell you the culture that we live in. I know you know this culture. From the time we are placed in front of this box to watch TV until the time we are placed in a box of our own, we are conditioned to live life passively. We're conditioned to live life from the couch. It takes a special act to get a sports fanatic out of the chair of observation and participate in the same sport they are there cheering on. The culture of the couch potato is ingrained in our psyches, and it is a very dangerous thing. Um, you can already see the thread of being not just being hearers, but being doers. We can be couch potatoes in church. We can sit here and listen and worship and sing and yes, that was good, that was good. Then we just go back on to our regular day. Or we can get in the game. God wants you in the game. <clears throat> God doesn't want you to be hearers. He wants you to be hearers and doers. He doesn't just want you to hear his word. He wants you to hear and obey. That's the playing. The way we get on the field is by the obedience. Somebody say Amen. Now, the 1950 years before television, Jesus was aware of this seductive danger of living only through observation. And in the scripture we just read, Jesus contrasted two types of living. One that lives merely by a sign and one that participates in the miracle. Listen again to what he said. A wicked and adulterous generation. And by the way, this word uh, in the Greek this wicked, this word in the Greek is scolio, is where we get the word scoliosis, meaning a twisted and unhealthy nature. That's the generation, a twisted and unhealthy generation. A wicked and adulterous generation demands a sign, but I tell you, no sign will be given, given it except the sign of Jonah. Now we're talking about two different types of signs. We're talking about a sign and we're talking about the sign of Jonah. I'm going to talk about these more in, in a couple minutes, but from the context, you can figure from this scripture that these are two opposites. Jesus says the only sign you're going to get is the sign of Jonah. Well, now what we've got to figure out is watch the sign of Jonah. Everybody remembers the miracle of Jonah being in the belly of a fish. And the climax of this book comes in chapter 3, and we're going to read it in just a minute, where you see that Jonah... This message of Jonah is all about repentance. Repentance is by definition something you really can't express. It's something you have to live. You have to live it to understand it. To understand what it means. To be heading out as far away as Nineveh as you can. To be running as far as you can from where you're supposed to be and then to have a 180 experience. Jonah had a 180 experience. Y'all understand the 180, 180 degrees. He had that moment. Let me tell you, it was the grace of God that he got that moment. 
If you just watch it, you don't understand it. It's something that has to be personal. Now, in contrast, this with a sign. Remember the context of, of this was a bunch of Pharisees asking Jesus to essentially, Jesus, do a magic trick for us. And, you know, Jesus was pretty cutting to these same Pharisees. In Matthew, in Matthew Jesus asks them about John the Baptist. Matthew 11, verse 7. He says, what do you go out, what did you What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Verse 9. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you more than a prophet. This, This is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Clearly, Jesus is not happy with the people who just want to see things. He's more interested in people being transformed. Again, it goes back to the power of the tongue. And what the, the problem with the tongue is it identifies the heart. God is trying to get to your heart. If he can get to your heart, he can get to your tongue. But if your heart's bad, nothing good's going to come out. If your heart's good it's going to come out. And what happens when it comes out? God responds to your speaking. What is your speaking? It is your faith. It is your proclaiming God's word. And remember, he's watching over his word to perform it. I don't understand why I have to have a microphone in my hand to talk with my hands because I normally don't talk that much with my hands. But I am today. I got, I got this hand up here. I, I don't know. It's, I don't know if they're attached. But we're going to keep going with it. <clears throat> A son is merely a substitute. It's a substitute for something that points you back to the original. But we have another related word, and it's vicarious, meaning you live your life through substitutes. The difference between a son and the son of Jonah boils down to one thing. Whether you want to live your life vicariously through something that just points to something else or to participate in the thing itself uh, the problem the problem with a healing is there's not a problem with a healing but a problem with getting a healing and not getting transformed is you're going to need something tomorrow you may get what you need today but you're going to need again tomorrow and you're going to need again the next day. Believe me, if, if all I got was one, one miracle from God, man, I would be, I'd be falling so short. I, I need God at all times. I mean, today I need X. Tomorrow I'm going to need Y. Are we a needy people? Yes, we are. are is God a God who meets needs? Yes. But I need, I need more than a fix today. I need fixed. I, I, need, I, need, I need the real. I need what's going to be with me tomorrow. I need to be what's going to be with me when, when I, I fall down again. I don't, I don't need the experience. I love the experience. I want the experience. I want the presence of God. I want the manifest presence of God right here for your need. We've had, I've had two people in the last two weeks come up and tell me of a pretty major healing to take place in their bodies. 
Praise God. Now, God, keep it up. You know what God says? Keep it up. I'm here. Keep it up. I'm not going to go anywhere. The only one that may, that may remove would be you, me, not God. God never changes. He's waiting to look over his word to perform it. Transformation. You know, we can take communion. Communion can be something that you just watch. I don't think that's what Jesus intended when he said, I eagerly desire to eat, to take this meal with you, to do this, that you do this in remembrance of me. But you know, it's really easy to get distracted by the sign. It's glitzy, it's fun. But Jesus is making a point here about what his death means. His, through his death, it means that Jesus can literally live inside us and turn us toward repentance. Sometimes we sing just as I am. And we admit that he cleanses, that, he, uh, that his blood can cleanse each spot. But something I want to ask you is, do you believe it? We can sing it, but do you believe it? Or are we just focused on the sign because then we'll miss it? But if we are focused on what the sign means, it will transform us. Now, signs are what they are. They're substitutes. They're designed to catch our attention. Let me give you a for instance, speed limit signs. Can you tell me the, the closest speed limit sign to your house, do you know what it says? Maybe you can remember because you know what? I, I can remember things. My daughter's 15 and just learning to drive again, but I couldn't tell you where the signs are, but I can remember what the speed limit is. But I mean, I, had to, I was coming down 10th Street today and saw a speed limit sign that I don't ever remember seeing before. Why? Because we get numb to them. And are we, are we afraid of that sign? That sign's not going to reach out and smack us if we speed. Is it? It's the authority behind the sign. It's the authority behind the sign. You're not afraid of the sign, you're afraid of the police officer that the sign will remind you of but the problem with signs is we build a resistance to them we grow dead to them if you just want some type of a sign you cheapen a thing you devalue it when you are content to just watch and not participate you become dead to a thing now shoo I feel like that this is how God works. He isn't the, time to use, the type to use flashy signs and obvious tricks to gain a quick convert. Instead, he prefers to use simple truths to communicate in simple fashions. You know, in the Middle Ages, uh, the Benedictine monks were told that when someone wanted to become a monk, they were supposed to try to dissuade them for three solid days. Now, that did not stop them from evangelizing. Of course, they continued to evangelize, but when someone said they, they wanted to become a monk, they tried to, to turn them against it. Do you know that when I, when I started to share with a few of my closest uh, um, 
friends and family and uh, people that I honored about stepping into the ministry, you know, I had a couple of them say, if you can think of anything other to, other, uh, other to do, do that. And they weren't, trying to, they weren't trying to hurt me. They were just trying to say, you really need to count the cost before you do this. Now, they immediately said, if you feel like this is it, you have to do it. But if you can see yourself doing anything else, do that. <clears throat> it's got to be in your heart. These monks didn't want people caught up in some emotional frenzy, committing the rest of their lives to something that was transitory. But it's not to say that they didn't evangelize. They were instructed to evangelize using the same call that Andrew gave Peter. Do you know what they would say? Come and see. They didn't prepare anything flashy. They just showed them the transforming power of God. Worked out through repentance. And see that it would have its desired effect. Now let's look real quick at Jonah chapter 3. Do you remember the story? Jonah had gotten a word about Nineveh. Nineveh was in sin, and God had told Jonah to go to Nineveh, and Jonah didn't want to go, so he ran. He got on a boat, and he ran. The storms got terrible. The men in the boat were trying to figure out what's going on. We, something, God's doing something. It was an act of God happening on that boat. They threw dice. They figured out it was Jonah. So what did Jonah say? Toss me. It's me. He, I, I believe he was holding back until the dice were thrown. <laughs> and then, okay, yeah, I confess. <laughs> now, that the, now that the dice has said so, it's me, toss me. And can you imagine, if you've, if you've ever watched uh, VeggieTales Jonah, you know, the second he hits the, the water, the sun comes out, and it's pleasant again. And what did the guys do? They tried to throw him the life preserver and bring him back on the boat. I mean, that's VeggieTales. I don't think that the that the men from the Bible did that. I think they were glad to be rid of him. But sure enough, here comes the fish and gets him. Three days, Jonah gets to have a wake-up Jonah experience. And he says, if I can get out, I'll do it. So he gets out, and he goes to Nineveh. Here, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim it to the proclaim." To it, the message I give you. And Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed. Now, listen. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overturned. That is the whole message. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast, all of them, from the greatest to the least, and put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from the throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and, sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, flock or herd, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let a man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent with the compassion with compassion turned from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction that had been threatened. 
What was the message? In 40 days, the city's going to be overturned. I mean, talking about to the point. They didn't have prayer lines. They didn't have a three-point message. They didn't have an altar call. Jonah traveled all that way to say, in 40 days, your city's going to burn. I think Jesus liked the phrase, the sign of, sign of Jonah, because it was that come and see attitude. In the book of Jonah, again, we see, he says, 40 days and Nineveh shall be destroyed. 40 do- days and you're toast. But something happened here that transformed the city. Because a man of God was with them, because the man of God brought the word, the city repented. Now we've got to take a second and look at what their repentance was. Their repentance was characterized by two things. It was complete participation in action. The king said, "Go! I want you all. Every one of you, every animal you've got, everything. We're going to do this. Second, complete participation in begging for mercy. If you go back and look what they did, everybody from the king down to the animals participated. Everyone was in sackcloth and ashes. And it wasn't like some judicial contract. Look again what they said. They said, maybe God might be merciful. The sign of Jonah was a demand for repentance. Do you know it was mercy? It was God saying, you don't deserve it, but I'll give it anyway. Can you imagine Washington, D.C., if Washington, D.C. were to do this? Can you imagine if the city of Cookville, it would, it would be the whole city. It's not just the believers. The king didn't say, okay, those of you that believe, that know Jonah, know that he's a prophet and know his God, I want you all to do this. Nope, it was an order for the entire nation, the entire city. You're going to do this. And you know how it goes in those days. If you don't, you die. So I believe they did it. The sign of Jonah. The entire city repented. Incredible. Jonah may have been the one demanding repentance, but do you know Jonah was in need of repenting himself? Do you know what happens? Jonah gave the message, and he went up and got a good seat. He had an amphitheater seating, you know, like we have in the movie theaters now. He went and found him a good high seat because he wanted to see the show. I believe he was literally looking forward to the fire and brimstone. And he was going to sit back and watch. And you remember, God gave, him a, God gave him a little shade that lasted for about a, a few moments. And then comes, again, I go back to VeggieTales. A little worm comes and eats the, eats the weed, and he doesn't have the sun, he doesn't have the shade anymore. And do you remember what Jonah said when God saved him? I knew you were going to do that. Doggone it. I knew you were going to do that. And he was upset. 
you know, so many times we see or we hear messages where it talks about the Old Testament mean God. I want you to know the Old Testament God was the God who was loving and was merciful and was quick to forgive. And his history is quick to forgive those who turn their hearts back to God. Can I tell you, if you are battling, turn your heart to God. He is quick to forgive. The Pharisees wanted a sign from Jesus, and they had lost their sight. They were familiar with the concept of Emmanuel, God with us, but they had forgotten truly of the miraculous nature of it, and that thus they did not see it in Jesus. It was a miracle that Jonah was able to be with the Ninevites. He should have been either in Spain or in Davy Jones' locker. He should have been dead. Dead at the bottom of the sea. But instead, God miraculously made Jonah to be right where he was needed. What they hadn't taken into account was that Emmanuel, God with us, would be a merciful, loving God. They wanted a sign but forgot that the sign of Jonah was not what they wanted. It was what they needed. We want a sign. We want a quick fix. We want a quick fix on our finances. We want a quick fix on our health. We want a quick fix on our family. And God says, that's not how I work. I want to fix all of you. I don't want to just fix one little piece. I want to make you whole. My children aren't, aren't damaged goods. God says, my children are my precious creation. I created, God says, I created you in my image for my glory so that you could be with me. I want you with me. Those of you listening to the tape, I'm pointing to God, not me you with God the key to your breakthrough will start and finish with repentance repentance I believe is the ultimate humility it's the ultimate need For us to completely give what we want. What maybe even feels good to us and say, no more. I turn. Do you know Jesus' message? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. John the Baptist's message? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. 2012, the message of the Lord? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is here. Just want y'all, as we pray, I'm going to close. I've gone a little long. But tomorrow's the national day of prayer. And, you know, tomorrow I've been asked to pray for the nation of Israel, and I'm going to do it. But do you know what prayer we need? We need the nation of America to repent. We need worldwide to repent. Why don't we pray for that? Can we just all agree? I believe that's God's word. I believe that's God's will to repent. Father, I just thank you for tonight. And, Lord, we do just turn our hearts back to you. And Lord, I can say, Lord, I lose focus so quickly. But Lord, it's your mercy that leads us to repentance. It's your goodness that leads us to repentance.
I just ask you right now, Lord, let's just start right here individually. Lord, I repent for thoughts. I repent for actions. I repent for words. I repent for unforgiveness. Lord, I ask for forgiveness over this church corporately. Lord, as the pastor of this church, I repent for this church. I ask your forgiveness in the blood of Jesus to cover this church and that all uh, demonic activity that may be trying to, to, to tear at this church, Lord, be stopped in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray for our city right now. And Lord, I just ask that this city would turn their hearts. Find a repenting city tomorrow, Lord. Find a repenting city tonight as all the churches tonight are having service. Lord, let by some miracle be that just a, just a, a wave of repentance go through here. But over our city tomorrow, over our officials over our government officials, over our schools, over our pastors, over this city, Lord. Let us turn. If those who are called by my name would hear my voice and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin. And I will heal their land. Lord, we turn. We turn tonight. I give you, I give you everything. And I ask your forgiveness for, for whatever sin I have in my heart. Lord, I ask for the sin of the nation. I don't know that I have that authority, but your word says that if we would ask for the nation, we would get it. Lord, I ask for the, our nation, the United States. I pray for Barack Obama. I pray for his staff. Lord, I pray for repentance to go through that White House like it's never gone through before. Thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that you're bigger than anything that this nation may face and that you're mighty to save. Now, Lord, bless tomorrow's National Day of Prayer. I just ask you for breakthrough over our city, breakthrough over our nation breakthrough over our government, breakthrough over our economy, breakthrough over our finances and families and children, breakthrough, Lord. But I just ask, we start with repentance. Let's just start with the 50, 7,500 people we have right here. Let's turn and repent. When we get up tomorrow, let's turn and repent. Thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Y'all have a great rest of the week.